broadcasting from an Orion Spies and Dorian Antenna at the Babel Conference. This is Politrex. The Time Directive, the Declaration of Human Rights, the United Federation of Planets, the United Nations, World War II, the Dominion Federation War, the Art of War, the Teachings of Sirach, Jesus Christ. Namaste Homo Sapiens, this is Shashank Kavaru, the co-host of Polytrex. Today, for the opening thoughts, the new segment, and our closing thoughts, it'll just be me, myself, and I. Barry DeFord cannot join us for that these particular parts of the episode simply because he's having internet connectivity issues. That's the long and short of it. He has had to disband his old internet service and set up a new one, and that is taking a toll on him both with time and with the machinations that are involved in setting up a whole new network in his house. So I I am saddened that he'll not be joining us for this episode, but I am heartened to share all my thoughts and hear back from you guys about how I did without clearly the spine of this show and the guy who puts it all together. This is going to be weird. It might not be as good as our other episodes. I'm almost positive it isn't simply because Barry's not here, but we will get through it. As always, we are delighted to be a member show of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. You can get into touch with us on Twitter on at Polytrex, that's P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. You can also follow us on Facebook. Our name there is the same, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. And if you are extra interested and would like to leave us a voicemail, you can do so by calling us on 609-512-LLAP, 609-512-5527. Now, before it gets so weird, let's move on to the news. sticking around i had no idea you guys would stick around you're so sweet for doing that as always we will be talking about current events with our new segment trying to compare the reality to our trek universe and trying to find parallels trying to make sense of things trying to just rant about some of the crazy things that are happening by comparing them to some of the ranty things that we have in trek ranty is that a real word we'll figure it out before i do get to the news I have some personal news from the Tricorder front. We host a monthly meeting. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's a delightful meeting where I... It's really an excuse for me anyway to talk to all my friends doing all the other awesome podcasts, Trek Profiles, Trek Ranks, Show Leave, Weekly Trek, other shows I'm missing right now that are skipping my memory. It's just a great excuse for me to catch up with all of them and we were all as an exercise just going through some of our social media stuff and i happened to be on itunes and i found a delightful listener named postcard from riser who left a wonderful review for us so i'd like like to thank him or her i also implore you guys those of you listening to us on itunes to leave us a review 
good or bad we'll take it we like honesty we like sincerity if it's good we appreciate it if it's bad we will listen to your feedback and we'll try to get better so please apart from talking to us on twitter and facebook and leaving us voicemails which we do appreciate try to leave us a review on itunes because that helps us greatly anyway moving on to the news today i have something that has been bugging me i am recording this maybe a little over a week after the Michelle Wolf White House Correspondents Association dinner. For those of you not in the know, the White House Correspondents Association hosts a dinner every year. Usually the president is present there and it's a very friendly, joyful roast of the president, the administration, the media, just finding comedy in the extremely serious business of the fourth estate and the the right to free speech and the ability to cover information about the government that is supposed to be taking care of all of us and working to progress our best interests. But since President Trump has taken office, he has not attended this dinner, although this particular year's dinner was attended by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is our press secretary. And there is a whole bunch of controversy surrounding the jokes that Michelle Wolf, the comedian who was present there, made. Typically, a comedian is invited. Most years, it's a good comedian. The Your Stephen Colbert's, your Conan O'Brien's, your Seth Meyers. Sometimes they'll just have crazy comedians that'll, that are really there just to kiss up to the administration. And, and those are just... There is, a, there is a whole new box of skeletons surrounding that that particular arrangement. But coming back to Michelle Wolf, she made a few jokes that are surrounding the administration's actions. And one of the jokes specifically targeted Sarah Huckabee Sanders, which the conservative internet went crazy about and started name-calling and started wars with people who actually enjoyed the comedian's ribs and her roast, I am one of those people. And they took the opportunity to turn it into a trial, essentially, for this comedian who was exercising her free speech by making sharp, intelligent jokes about her administration that is questionable at best. The fact that the Trump administration supporters started criticizing a comedian about her jokes that involve vulgarity, that seems as ridiculous as Cardassian justice to me. Cardassian justice is one of the worst ideas for practicing law. The idea that a trial is essentially a giant circus because the person's punishment has already been decided and the entire trial happens just to show off the fact that there is a punishment that's been decided and there is grandiose insanity in that in that idea. All of that drives me crazy. And as soon as I heard this, the fact that people who are supporting the Trump administration, the administration of the same guy that talked about grabbing women by their genitals, the same guy who has incited violence at his rallies, the same guy who yells out, who spews out hatred with every second sentence, a guy who's famous for attaching nicknames to people. And 
a guy who has a history of misogyny and sexism and racism, the fact that people who support this guy think a comedian was in the wrong for making jokes that are funny and dirty seems as ridiculous as that to me. It seems like I am Kira in the episode Covenant and I've been brought to Galdukard and everybody who's worshipping Galdukard is telling me I am wrong for questioning why they're worshipping the guy who's tried to commit genocide on their entire country. The idea of people who are the textbook examples of the worst in a situation are questioning other people's actions and criticizing them for being dirty and being vulgar is bizarre to me. That is all I'll say about that. Moving on, on this very show, Barry and I often express hope. Hope for peace in the couriers. This has gone on through our lifetimes and this conflict has reverberated around the world. There have been repercussions that have ranged across time and across legalities, across peace treaties, across generations. And the, the even the thought of peace between North Korea and South Korea never actually seemed possible. But the fact that recently there was a meeting between Kim Jong-un and representatives from South Korea. And the fact that they have formally opted to start taking steps to end the Korean War brought tears to my eyes as soon as I heard it. I shared it on our Politrex Twitter as well. That is one of the greatest pieces of news I'll ever read in my life. The fact that that is even a possibility these were all my initial emotions and now that I have time had time to sit on it and chew on it and the fact that the the news has been out there for a while all of it makes me it makes me 95% happy and about 5% disturbed let me let me clarify what i'm talking about the romulans often violate the neutral zone it's something that happens in the original series and so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's a crime that is being repeated over and over and over again. And yet somehow the Romulans always try to fall back on the idea of the fact that Starfleet ultimately wants peace and they want stability. So they take advantage by poking the fire and then they keep stepping back, crying hurt when they are when they, when they want to be freed from responsibility. On this very show, Barry and I, in our initial episodes, talked about how North Korea is close to nuclear war with the United States. The same Kim Jong-un that we're talking about today, proposing peace, let's not forget, was the same guy who said he would love to destroy the entire world with his nuclear weapons. So the whole idea seems a little disturbing to me. It seems a little too good to be true. And if there is anything that I've learned from Star Trek, my mom, just life in general, if something is too good to be true, it probably is actually too good to be true. But that being said, this show, I as a person, I as a Star Trek lover, want to believe the, that 
the ability to do good is in everyone. And so just in that spirit, I hope that this particular peace treaty is not just a gaslight to hide any of the other atrocities that are happening in Korea, or it's not an attempt to divert our attention from the actual wrongdoings that are happening around the world, and that this is a peace deal that will stick. That is my fervent hope, and I really hope that's that's something that we all would see in our foreseeable future someday. Moving on, speaking of deals, the other news item that has been picking up some steam recently is the Iranian nuclear deal. To summarize it in a minute or less, a couple of years ago, the idea of an Iranian nuclear deal was floated around the fact that Iran had an active nuclear weapons program to essentially develop and implement a nuclear weapon strategy to arm itself in case of nuclear war. That was a possibility until President Obama and his administration, along with other nations around the world, got together and essentially got Iran on a deal table, which ended with the Iranians signing a nuclear deal in which it said, we will not be making nuclear weapons. The fact that that happened was one of the greatest achievements of the Obama administration. But the fact that it's gaining steam again is Trump is beginning to float the idea over and over. He said this in the past, but even louder now that he wants to withdraw from it. Now, the Iranian nuclear deal does have problems. I, as a person who has studied these documents for fun, I promise I'm a fun person. I'm good at parties. You should come and talk to me at STLV and I will be fun and chill. I promise I really read these though, just because I find them very interesting. But if you read the Iranian nuclear deal, there there are problems in it. I will acknowledge that one of the biggest problems is that there are no set dates for everything. The fact that the document itself essentially says Iran will essentially not develop nuclear weapons now, but the document does not provide a firm decision on completely banning it from making weapons in the future. The fact that there are issues like this is a, val- is, a, is a valid observation, whether it comes from me or anyone from any administration. But the fact that we want to withdraw from that just because there are issues like that, that reminds me a lot about the idea of the Prime Directive. The Prime Directive on its face is an incredible idea. It's like America. It's an idea so good it should not exist. But it does, just like America does. And the fact that the prime directive is not perfect is showcased in every series. You see that in the original series. You see that in the next generation and more so. You definitely see it in Deep Space Nine. And even the new movies are made a point of showing how the prime directive can be a double-edged sword, just like the Iranian nuclear deal. But having said that, the fact that there is a prime directive allows those of us that have watched these stories unfold in Star Trek see that our characters make the best of this universe thanks to the prime directive. And they refrain from their baser instincts. They do the best possible thing they can do in a situation simply because the prime directive often guides them, the good ones anyway. The prime directive and the Iranian nuclear deal have a lot in common. They're both treaties that are flawed. 
But they're also both treaties that are filled with immense promise. The fact that we as a world could contain Iran enough to bring them to a negotiation table and sign this deal is probably a once in a lifetime act. There is no repetition of that. And withdrawing from it will be as bad as violating the prime directive, irrespective of whether you think you're in the right or not. The fact that we could get Iran to that table is as good as Picard quoting the prime directive to refrain from doing something that in that particular situation seems like the right thing to do, but objectively isn't in the bigger picture. So I would just, for those that are interested, look at the flaws of the Iranian nuclear deal and try to look at it from the lens of the prime directive. Try to see how both of them are flawed, they're imperfect. I accept that, but they both ultimately lead to better things. And we, as a world, should never forget that. And if we ever allow people to just withdraw from deals that are made in the bet- for the betterment of the world, the message we are sending is that, hey, you know how you have your worst fear about people waging nuclear war? We as a government actually aren't doing anything to prevent that. On the contrary, we are going out of our way to make sure that these fears get one step closer to reality. Anyway, I did not mean to fill all our news today with negativity. I hope I haven't. But these are essential discussions that need to be had. And if you're ever feeling too negative, there is always Star Trek to fall back on. Now we move on to our main segment which is probably one of the coolest episodes we've ever done. I know we are a fairly young podcast, but we finally got a debate in. And I will not stop you guys anymore. Here it is, this beautiful Edward Jellico debate to fill your ear holes. Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of Debate Treks. This will be our new debate series in Treks where we debate hotly contested issues within the Star Trek universe about characters, episodes, overall themes, just general things that we can talk about that have divided fans over the ages. For our first episode today, this was a great idea from Barry and Jim. Barry one day approached me and told me, hey, we, Jim has expressed interest in coming in doing a debate about whether Edward Jellico is an overall good character or a bad character. Not good in the sense of evil and good and evil, but good in the sense of a likable, appealing, overall nice character, an overall positive character or a negative character. So today's debate will be between Jim Woodhouse from Trek Ranks, one of our other awesome shows here in the Tricorder Network. I often listen to Trek Ranks and I'm amazed that he keeps coming up with lists. I'm, I'm surprised he doesn't work with BuzzFeed yet. And it'll be him against our very own Barry DeFord. Now, before we get into the debate, I have expressed my my stance on this issue 
over Twitter and I've engaged in multiple conversations about what I think about Edward Jellicoe. But please be assured that in this argument, I will merely be the moderator. And the way this debate's going to go is we have 10 questions. Each question will approximately take five minutes. And within that five minutes, we'll have a two-minute argument from both opponents. And then there'll be a one-minute rebuttal. Whenever they go over five seconds of the time that's allotted to them, I will interrupt them. So you will hear that if they are not keeping their time. And if the questions get shorted, all the same, I, I have no problem with that. We have quite a few good audience questions that we can use. Also, just as a on a side note, thank you, audience, for sending us those questions. But having said that, our topic today is, is Edward Jellicoe good? And everything's on the table, no holds barred. I will introduce our opponents for today. First up, Jim Morehouse. Hey, Jim. Hey guys, great to finally be on Politrex. Are you excited for today's debate? I am very excited about today's debate because this is it's one of my favorite topics to uh, to poke people with. I love I love this one. I'm I'm excited to hear all your thoughts on it. And then we have Politrex's very own co-host, often imitated, never replicated, Barry Deford. Namaste, Homo sapiens. I'm very excited to be. Uh, <laughs> doing this as well. And I think, first of all, maybe just off the hob here, because I know, Shashank, you're being, you're saying you're going to be neutral. And I know there's been quite some hot Twitter debates happening about this as well. First of all, I think we all can agree on one thing, that this is great Trek. All Trek is great Trek, but this especially is great Trek. It's in the top 21 of Jim's Trek Ranks uh, website. So you should definitely check that out. And actually, I have a little extra little bit here that uh, I would watch um Jim's top 20 to number one on all of the series and I call it the Morehouse challenge so I I, right. I would say everyone should get out and uh, try the Morehouse challenge it's loads of fun or, or the other challenge is do your own ranks and send them to me because I love to see them that works too and also <laughs> I just have to say I think Ronnie Cox does a fantastic job uh just as an actor oh, and I think that's why we, we can't stop talking about him for that reason so so good good on you Mr. Cox um I hear you make good music too all right well the niceties have been exchanged now let's get to ripping each other's throats out we'll go Jim first because Jim's our guest question one who's Edward Jellico Jim Edward Jellico is an insecure idiot with a badge He's just the worst. In my world, you have to earn authority. You don't just get to assume it. And I really don't care what rank is on your collar. I obviously wouldn't have made it in the military or, or Starfleet. I respect authority, but only when authority respects me. And the issue with Jellico is that he doesn't respect anyone. He's insecure. He doesn't believe in himself, just as Deanna points out. He is your typical bad manager. At the beginning here, he's got this nice introduction. He's friendly. He's ready to roll. No issue. And then wham, just straight into bad leadership without taking, I mean, right away. It's, hey, I want a standard four shift rotation, regardless of any expertise or feedback I might be able to tap into for my experienced staff. That is terrible leadership. Let me give you an example of good leadership with another brusque character in this episode. Necheyev. She's direct. She's forthright in her style. But never had a problem with her because she's not disrespectful. She's strong. She believes in herself. Perfect example is right at the top of the show. Here's Riker. He's miffed. He's a little annoyed that he's not taken over the ship and they're giving it to somebody else. 
And she said, and he, and he asked her, right, he says, Necheyev, so the, you think the Cardassians are ready for war? And she respectfully, directly, brusquely says, I didn't say war commander, I said incursion. That's how you command directly and confidently, not the absolute crap show that uh, Jellico is uh, undertaking in his role as the pseudo-enterprise captain. Barry? Well, that's a, a a great start. So I'll I'll go with mine here. First of all, before anything else, Edward Jellico is clearly a family man who loves his son. He's a captain of a ship that he misses, and he is a specific component Starfleet needed for the task at hand. Good, you pointed Necheyev out because she is the puppet master behind this entire operation on Starfleet side. And yes, she is a stone cold pro. She needs someone who is going to come in and make things happen, right? He's going to get things done, and he's going to go. He is a fixer. He's a man of few words. He's a man of action. And I'm going to get into this further. He is not the dad of the ship. He's more like a principal. And being a principal myself, you've got to get the right people for the right type of job. And when you're dealing with students or Cardassians, both equally as unruly sometimes, you need someone who can get the job done. So that's Edward Jellico for me. You go, Jim. One minute rebuttal. Here we go. I'll say this. So you, you point out the family issue, and that's that's one of my issues because he has time for his family. He's clearly a family man. He's got that side covered, but yet the lack of respect for everything else going on the show on the on the crew. And here's the thing: everybody's like, he doesn't have time to do anything else. He doesn't have time to to. Uh, to deal with with all these extracurriculars yeah he does he's got time to hang up his little pictures that little johnny drew and get the fish out of there he's got time to get the fish out that's an order that people have time to do right now during this big hot contested mission that has no time for anything else sorry jellico you're a terrible manager and you're a disrespectful person buddy do i get a rebut yes, on that or no <laughs> go very go very you have a minute sweet okay so I, I would say that that more than anything in that respect, he doesn't have the time. He doesn't have the time to work. And yes, if he's putting up a couple of pictures that got like transported to him, fine. He gets a um, a fish out of his office. Again, that's a that's a transporter issue that's going to take about three and a half seconds. He doesn't have time to sit around and sing kumbaya with this these people like Picard does. He's expecting that the staff of the flagship of the Federation is going to be able to get a job done. He isn't here to be their friend. He's here to prepare them for war. And again, we're going to be bringing that up a little bit later as well in in my response to this. He's he he doesn't have time and he doesn't he shouldn't need to have time. He's here to do a job and so are they. Okay, good points all around. We we got the timing right. Moving on to the next question, what makes Jellico unlike Captain Picard or Cisco or Kirk? Why is he better or worse than our protagonist captains? Barry well, this is a very salient moment where we see the other type of Starfleet captain. The captains we get on a regular basis, they are explorers first. They are no slouches when it comes to kicking the enemy's butt, albeit. However, they are honed more closely to diplomacy, negotiation, and that whole seeking out new life and new civilizations thing. Jellico is not that. He would botch a first contact scenario completely, and he has little to no tact in that area of expertise. Jellico is a war captain. You may recall that he is the chosen captain of the Enterprise D in the Mirror Universe for that reason. 
Jellicoe knows how to run a warship. He's decisive, like a drill sergeant. He's almost Patton-esque, but without the bravado. And you know what? I will say Jellicoe is still warm. Look at how he greets Deanna. Look at how he greets other other members of staff. Even with Will, he runs up to him and shakes his hand. Look at uh, when he does have time with Jordy, especially when they're in that shuttle. They do finally chat and make small talk. However, first and foremost, Jellicoe is a war captain. He's been bred for that purpose. For example, take Cisco during the Dominion War. He takes the diplomatic route to start and ultimately has to become a war criminal to get his way out of it. Cisco gets played like a fiddle by Ducat throughout the whole thing because Cisco's looking to make inroads and diplomacy and all this sort of stuff. Ducat is the devil. He he doesn't want that. And I would argue that this is not some sort of failing on Cisco's part. It's just he was not put on the station for war. Jellicoe would have handled Ducat much differently. So I would say that Jellicoe isn't a better or worse captain. He's just one of a, with a very different capacity. Okay, Jim. Wow. Comparing uh, Jellicoe's strength by saying Cisco is faulty in some manner. I, okay, I'm going to move on to the fact that uh, the reason he's different than the great captains of Picard, Cisco, Kirk, who all served during wartime at exceedingly high and successful levels is because he's a passive aggressive little bitch. You can bleep that out if you need to. To to Jean-Luc Picard, freaking Jean-Luc Picard, you're going to sigh and slump your shoulders and roll your eyes and whine at the very first while he's trying to give you advice. He was your first officer for five years. What? I mean, this is not leadership. And this is not about, oh, he's the captain they need at this time. No, you need a captain that can do the job and rally the troops and have support amongst his 1,000 people on this ship. They're, he's not a one-man show. It's not just his show. He needs everybody to support him. So if you've taken five minutes to understand your new command and the parameters in place to best help you achieve your mission, you would understand the value that someone like Jean-Luc Picard and Ben Sisko present. It's uh, when you dismiss Jean-Luc Picard, who's literally telling you he's one of the finest officers I've ever worked with, with another passive aggressive little response. Of course he is, Jean-Luc. These are the things a jerk does. These are the things that bad leaders do. Angelico is a terrible leader. Buddy. Well, I would say that if you if you don't like his uh, style, you might want to take that up with Admiral Necheyev, someone who you sang the praises of, because she chose him. He's not there to mother his crew. In fact, he tells Picard when Picard starts doing his like little, hey, you know, maybe you should look at these warp coil, blah, this and that. He says, don't mother me, Picard, because he knows what he needs to do. He knows where he's supposed to go, right? This is, you know, it kind of almost reminds me of like a restaurant kitchen. You know, you've got several orders coming up and they're coming up now and the people out there are going to become irate right away. So there just simply isn't time to make these little tiny inroads that you're supposed to do, especially given the fact that you are dealing with what is being touted as the most hostile alien species to date. And I will mention, I'm not downing Picard or, or uh, Cisco. I'm saying that they serve different purposes. And that's what's important to remember. Jim? Yeah, I find it. Uh, I love this debate. But I, I love that you're using uh, you don't have to mother me as a positive for this guy. That is the most Picard is giving him important information about the ship's secondary systems during this scene. 
He's literally telling him about recent upgrades they've had. Passive aggressive little bitch. I'll take care of the Enterprise, Jean-Luc. You don't have to mother me. Are you kidding me? How about, thank you for your expertise on this. That's helpful to one of the most respected officers in the history of the Federation. This guy, and the, your Necheyev point is totally moot. It doesn't, it's not relative. She's, she's assigning an officer. There's plenty of reasons why she would assign this guy. Has no bearing on whether he's good or bad. And he is a terrible, terrible manager. Okay. Well, we, I'm glad we got all those points in. Moving on to question number three. Would the situation with Cardassia have transpired differently if Jellico was not involved? Would we have been better off or worse off? Jim? Yeah, so this one, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna give a little bit on this one. So the end game here are the, the positives of, of Jellico, where the, he does actually succeed in the mission. So the, the end game, and by the way, that comes at the end once he's not really dealing with personalities and once the real chess game starts, he does a decent job of logically extrapolating scenarios. He figures out about Minos Corva. Why is this? Oh, because now he's actually working with his crew, asking them for recommendations, listening to them. Something he should have done all along, except, of course, for Riker, because he's, st- he's still being the one that's being a baby about Riker. But we'll, we'll get to that later. So he does end up uh, saving Picard and avoiding a war. So, so the end game here is uh is a success but the issue that i have is is his means o- overall and i actually don't think the situation with Cardassi would have transpired differently if jellico was not involved because Riker certainly would have led this ship in a great and impressive way to succeed in this endeavor i mean there wasn't anything special going on where they needed this guy's brusque idiotic terrible management skills a Riker could have easily have commanded this, as could have Picard or Cisco. Okay, Barry. Well, let's suppose we reversed roles. Jellico gets sent down to the planet for something like this, and Picard is sent to negotiate with Golemak. Firstly, Jellico would have been caught, plain and simple. Being a military man rather than an explorer, the two types of Starfleet captains, he would not have done well with the whole torture thing either. See, the Cardassians thought they could break Picard. With Jellico, they would likely just have to kill him. He's not someone you'd want to to just mess with, right? Trying to break Jellico is much like the Joker trying to break Commissioner Gordon in the Killing Joke comic series by Al- a comic book by Alan Moore. It'll mess him up, but honestly, I think Jellico would probably just get back to work. There'd be no gain to Jellico's capture, and the Cardassians would resort to more drastic measures. Meanwhile, on the ship, I think Picard would be doing his usual diplomatic thing, which, hey, works with many species, but this is why he has he has the job he does, right? However, here, the Cardassians are after Minos Corva. They would not take Picard's style well and would probably get frustrated. And above that, Riker, Riker would have gotten his little rescue mission to go save Jellico because they wouldn't have met and hated each other. And I think Riker would have been caught as well. And then this would have fallen right into the Cardassians' trap. Picard would have lost someone precious, and then we'd have a war. So I think the way things were put together means exactly that. They had to happen this way because this is how they ended up better off. Everyone in their place doing the thing they were supposed to do. Only Picard could survive that kind of torture. Brownie points for making a comic book reference. I quite appreciate it. Hashtag comics rule. Jim? That one went right over my head, so... Um... This isn't about whether, I mean, obviously there's not a scenario where you would put Jellico on the planet. So I'm not sure why you're even bringing that up. But uh, the point here is if Jellico wasn't in his role, would 
would Picard or Cisco or a, a Riker, another manager, another captain have been able to manage this situation with uh, negotiating with Lamech, trying to cut through this uh, scenario that the Cardassians were trying to uh, slide through? Would that captain have succeeded? And you, there's absolutely nothing Jellico does that tells me any other competent, strong captain would not have been able to successfully navigate in this scenario. Full stop. Nari? Well, I think his his ability to throw off the Cardassians is exactly what was required to ensure that time was bought for Picard and eventually the end game did fall in Jellicoe's favor, right? He's able to keep the Cardassians in a position of of needing to always be on the defense, of always needing to be, you know, ensuring that 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 they know how to deal with this loose cannon. So I really think that he was put in the perfect spot to to get this done. And if Riker was in charge, he would have tried to save Picard and would have gotten someone else killed down on down on the planet. Okay, you guys do have two minutes. Do you want to go back on a back and forth? No, let's just keep going. Okay, question number four. Jellico's treatment of the crew is interesting, to say the least. Was he justified in treating everyone the way he did? Barry, we'll start with you on this one. Well, again, I'd say you've got it backwards. The treatment of the crew to Jellico. now that's interesting. When being told what they were to be doing. Crusher and Worf, Worf seemed trepidatious about the whole going with Picard. And Picard says, I understand this is difficult. All I ask is for you to trust me. This is how Picard rolls, right? He's that different breed of Starfleet officer. And with Jellico being almost Lorca-like, readying a ship full of explorers and scientists for war, this is why he angers Geordi, right? This is why he angers everybody, because they are being pulled out of their normal parameters. And I would say that when Jellico is going up and telling them what to do, he's saying specifically what they have to do. Picard is the one actually being vague. And he's just saying, you just have to trust me, right? Whereas Jellico saying, I want this, 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 and this, and nobody's going for it. So when Troy comes, especially into Jellico's writing room to tell him he needs to take more time to get to know the crew, this is not a Jellico problem. It's a crew problem. Riker's in a huff because he can't do things his favorite way. And Picard kept the reins loose on Will, and there's no time for that. It's time for war. And he's seeing Troy acting that way. He knows he's got to knock her down a peg too. So he says, what are you doing out of uniform, right? Put some clothes on. I like to think of it this way. If you guys have seen Pulp Fiction, Jellico is the wolf. He's telling everyone what to do. And then everyone goes Vincent Vega and says, well, you could say please. And it, really, I feel like this should have been something Jellico said, which is like, get it straight, Buster. I'm not here to say please. I'm here to tell you what to do. And if self-preservation is an instinct you possessed, you'd better bleeping do it and quick. I'm here to help. And, you know, does he have to say pretty please with sugar on top? Okay, Jim. Your argument is that being disrespectful to people is okay. And that's not okay. In any situation, let's be real clear about that. It's not okay to treat people poorly. And when he's going around asking the crew, what they're, they're not upset because they're asking him to do hard work, which Jordy says. They're upset because he's being disrespectful and not asking them for their opinions and their expertise. These are experts in their field. And this guy is a clown, the way he treats them in terms of their roles. And you bring up Mira Lorca. You're comparing him to Mira Lorca rallying a troop? I say Mira Lorca because it's Mira Lorca. So that's, this is just not how you operate. It's not how you 
how you manage. And it's not okay to treat people disrespectfully. That's what he does time and time again. I don't care what the scenario is. That's why he's a bad dude. So in, in the, Deanna, the Deanna situation, he's so disrespectful of Deanna. She very professionally brings her concerns to her leader. And he's just so disrespectful. And again, the dumb argument here is that he's a man on a mission. He's a tough XO that doesn't have time for a honeymoon with the crew. He's completely missing the point. The best way to achieve your goals is not act the way you're acting. It's very demeaning. He's like, he's almost, he's like scolding her. He's admonishing her. It's absolutely unacceptable to treat people this way. I don't care what the management structure is. I don't care what stakes are at play. You don't, you, you have time to treat people with respect. That is what this guy cannot do. That's why he's a terrible manager. Barry, do you think Jellico was disrespectful to the crew? No, if it's, and I'm going to quote the wolf again, if he's Kurt, it's because time is a factor. He thinks fast, he talks fast, and he needs everyone to act fast if they're going to get out of this. You got to, you got to understand in a command structure named of the show, right? Chain of command. You got to let the pips do the talking. And when Jordy goes complaining to Riker and Riker clearly complains to Troy and she goes and fights his battles, that is unprofessional. That is a breach of, of, of trust on their end. They should have brought their problems to him. And then he could have said, when this is over, we'll talk it out. But right now I need you to work. Right. That's what it means in these very important situations. He doesn't have the time to do it. And when he does, he is a very nice guy. And you're right, Jim. He does end up talking with Jordy as he finds himself with more time. But right at the beginning, he's told, this is it. You've got to go. You've got to do this now and you've got to make it happen. And everyone has their little tantrum, freaks out, breaches the chain of command and starts complaining to each other. I'm sorry. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty bad. Just as, uh, as a moderator's point, Deanna Troy's job is ship's counselor. So if Riker was to go tell her that somebody's being disrespectful, it would be within the purview of her duties to take that because he's expressing his feelings and he's expressing how he's being treated and how that's affecting him mentally. I'm just going to point that out. As the ship's counselor, she is supposed to listen to that in confidence. And then she's supposed to direct that individual to the member of staff that he's having a problem with before she says anything because she's also breaking counselor counselee privilege in that case okay well noted man uh jim i would just like to know we don't know any of that actually happened so uh just to be True. clear um so your whole argument is that it's okay to be disrespectful to people i will never never buy that argument because there's always time for courtesy and there's always time to to treat someone with the uh, respect and expertise they deserve. And that is his issue. And it's not just about, oh, just being a snowflake or whatever it is. The point here is you'll get more out of them. If you were a good manager, you would see that by talking to them, asking them, spending an extra minute or two with them would actually lead to a better result for you and your management. That's the, that's the crux here. And again, the dumb argument is that I'm a man on a mission. I don't have time for any of this other stuff. Yeah, you do. You got plenty of time because I see that your tactic, which we're about to talk about in the next question. <laughs> okay. Well, that was a good segue. Moving on to the next question. Jellico's negotiation tactic with Lamech, the observation lounge to the ready room switch, and then making him wait an hour, et cetera, et cetera, baffles the crew. Is this an effective negotiation tactic? Jim? Man, this is the absolute worst. I don't even know where to start on this thing. 
He doesn't tell his crew what he's doing in regards to making Lamech wait. And communication with your team is critical in every scenario, especially one with this much pressure and time-sensitive issues. Dominant position bullshit making Cardassian wait. It's just that classic alpha male crap that I don't have any time for. In that case, to be the wolf that is still standing at the end. Okay, got it, uh, Mr. Jellico. So your great strategy that is so critical to this mission is to eradicate the person on the other side of the table if you have to be the only wolf standing at the end. So your starting point is, I'm the wolf. I'm going to be the last guy standing. And I use the term eradicate to be nice. The real word is destroy or kill. This guy is a joke. That's not how the Federation works. That's not a tactic. And by the way, the whole dominant position alpha male thing that's also what he's doing to the entire crew the entire time he's in charge instead of working with them again and respecting them. His ruse about acting like a jackass and going off half-cocked, storming out of the room and laughing about it and telling Troy and Riker to go back in with his couple of points. These are child's games. That's not how you negotiate or talk to anyone. It's not how you get anything done. That's how morons, idiots, like Trump operate. It's absolute embarrassment the way this guy goes about his job because of a perceived power structure, which he could use to his advantage and succeed with. But instead, he knows nothing about managing, nothing about managing people, and he's a disrespectful human being. Okay, let's not get overly political here, but Trump is a fascist goldfish. Barry? <laughs> fascist goldfish. Okay, that was delightful. Anyways, um, first of all, I don't understand. I'm, I'm starting to have a problem uh, figuring out this whole disrespect thing because every time he sees and meets and greets a new officer or another officer, he is always so happy to see them. He shakes their hand. How are you doing? How are things? And then he gets down to work and then they start complaining and then he has to lay down the law. So I'm a little bit confused on that, but you know what? I'll let it go. Here's the other piece. He does tell Deanna what he's doing when he goes to the ready room. And he does tell Riker and Troy what he's doing when he storms out of there on the bridge and tells them what's happening. And he seems excited to do it. And that's when Deanna's like, well, I don't think he knows what he's what he's talking about, whereas Riker thinks he does. So even in that case, you can just see how unprofessional they're being. They're being clouded by their own judgment. Jellicoe needs his opponents off kilter, right? And it's it's a it's a tactic straight out of the Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi, which was used by business people in the 90s especially, right? Musashi was a swordsman who was a master, but the way he would do it is he'd go from town to town challenging local samurai and being basically the Klingons of human history. No samurai would turn him down. They would arrange a meeting place and time to have their little brawl and Masashi would make them wait or he would show up late or whatever. And he'd saunter in and get into an argument with the already angry samurai and then provoke him into an attack and wipe him out. So I think, again, this is Starfleet choosing Jellicoe for the purpose to throw his enemies off. And you know what? If it throws off the Enterprise crew, tension is contagious. Clearly, it's a ship full of people who would not take uh, kindly to the loss of their daddy. I mean, Captain uh, Picard. And if the Cardassians show up on a ship full of people with their hackles up, everyone's twitchy and uptight. Well, that's going to make you feel that way, too. Hostile ship, hostile people. Jellicoe has the Cardassians right where he wants them. Jim? So you're using 1980s uh, Wall Street business people as your argument for how to behave. Okay, got that. 90s. Ah, same difference. You're basically defending you know, Exxon moguls. So, okay. 
Um, the passive, it's passive aggressive. That's why he's, he's nice to these guys. He's passive aggressive. The way he treated Picard while he's trying to relay information to him is the disrespect. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Or when he goes to Jordy and says, yeah, your whole crew is going to work all night. I don't care what you say. I'm not going to listen to any argument on your end. So the, so that's what we're talking about there. In terms of the buying time with this strategy, <laughs> he's not buying any time. He has no idea what he's doing. He literally has no idea what he's doing. He's acting like a child with this strategy. And he does not communicate to them in advance of the meeting what he's going to do. That is clear. I'm not sure what you're talking about there, Barry. Yeah, he tells them afterwards. But he goes into the meeting and they're sitting there going, what the heck is going on? We have no idea. We look like clowns. So he did not communicate to them the way a good manager would. Maddie? Well, again, I think they they know where he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to be doing. It's it's them who's not who are not following his lead in that respect. I mean, really, when does Kirk know exactly what he's doing? I mean, the man he he he's a risk taker. He's the one who's gonna who's gonna push out these no win scenarios and and try things differently. I mean, Picard has shown on many times that that he's just you know he he's letting the tools that he has been trained with strike at the time that's necessary and that's the point jellico is trained differently from picard and from cisco and from kirk and janeway and all the rest because he has a different capacity within starfleet and was needed for that specific time and yeah i mean it throws the crew off it throws the senior officers off but um that's really seems to me like a senior officer problem. Okay, good points all around. And I'm just going to point out that I do think, as myself, Kirk knows what he's doing when he's flirting with alien women. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to question number six, and this is where a lot of our points so far do converge, so maybe you guys can stretch it out a little. We'll be good with that. Would Jellico revealing the mission plans to Riker have helped stop the capture of Picard and his crew? On a broader note, would Riker handling this mission have turned out better than Jellico's? And Barry? Um, no, no on both counts. Things happened as they did. I think I think it was Jellico's prerogative to or not to tell Riker. But given the fact that immediately when when Jellico gives Riker his very first order to add an extra shift, right, to the Enterprise. Riker doesn't do it. And right then and there, that sets the tone. He needs him to do a thing and he doesn't do it. Are you kidding me? He doesn't He doesn't meanly say it either. He says, hey, great, cool, nice to meet you. Uh, here's the thing I need to have happen. Blah, blah, blah. Great, Will. I'll talk to you later. Right? I'm in a hurry. I got things to do, but uh, I know I can count on you. So Picard and Jellico also, by their uh, superiors also have been told not to say anything. I'm currently in collective bargaining with my teachers union and and the board. I can't say anything, even to my administrator, let alone to to friends or, or anyone else of what's going on. It's a rule, right? So Riker, like Picard, wasn't fit specifically for this mission. And he proves it when they say that they have Picard. Riker's like, is he alive? Like, are you kidding me, man? Like, seriously, follow the lead of the guy who's in 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 command, right? You, this is a different person. You have to you have to accept the fact that Picard isn't around anymore. And you'd figure that his time taking on the Enterprise so decisively and amazingly in best of both worlds, he would have been able to adjust to that a little bit faster. I don't know if he was written very well here. Yeah. So, in regards to this specific question, would Jellico reveal the mission plans or I could have stopped? No, of course not. That that would is it irrelevant 
And on a broader note, would Riker handling this message have turned out better than Jellicoe's? I don't believe it probably would have because the end game here is uh, is is a is a positive for the Federation. But the real question about this debate is whether Jellico is a good manager or a good person or however you want to phrase that. So, so I don't think those two are relevant. But what I will say in, in regards to Jellico, let's go back to his management styles here. You, you keep talking about he's buying time and, and, uh, and pushing, uh, pushing the Cardassians. They turned the tables on him completely. He looks like a fool. The whole thing when, when the, when they spring, when the Lamech springs the video or says, Hey, we've captured a, a captain on a ship on the planet surface trying to do this. And then he's completely dead quiet. He has nothing to say. A brief recess would seem to be in order. This whole thing makes me want to root for the Cardassian because all, all Jellico does is get depressed, slumps out of the meeting. And then in the next session, he has a complete meltdown screaming in the middle of a conversation, screaming, you gave up your claim to those territories when you signed the armistice. You couldn't take those worlds by force, so you want to give them the bargaining tail. What a great leader. What an unbelievable leader this guy is. And when Deanna, Deanna says he's not sure of himself and he's insecure, it's what she's saying. She's 100% spot on. After that, in every meeting, after the Cardassians had the upper hand, and now he's quiet and indecisive. So that's that's buying time. Okay, nice impressions, Jim. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were very good. Okay, so once again, he he doesn't have any control over that variable changing within the meeting. And yeah, he's still playing, you know, big dog, that sort of thing. Absolutely. It's Riker who shows his hand. It's Riker who ends up ends up making Jellico have to be more reactive by saying, is he alive? Jellico was more than happy to just sort of go, oh, okay, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Like, well, that doesn't make any sense and all that sort of stuff. And then later, when um, they are, uh, when they're caucusing and you've got uh, Jellico, uh, Riker, and Troy, Riker's all like, we need to go save him right now, blah, 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 and, and stuff. And I know this moves into the next question, but you tell me who the more unprofessional person is here. Jellico. Hey, if you guys interrupt each other again, I will turn this podcast right around. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Sorry. It's the first time. It's like six questions. The first time. Yeah, we're we're six in. I I, I might I might I call I call uh, being able to do one of those two later. But anyways, no I, Jellico is 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 sticking to character. In fact, that's why he's doing his yelly yelly loudy thing, and it's Riker who's who's botching this thing completely. Okay, Jim. I don't even know how to respond to that. I I mean, sorry, I'm not being disrespectful. He literally has no control over himself. This is not an act. This is a commander who has no control over himself, who's had the tables flipped on him. And his screaming out of control at the guy at the other side of the table that you need to negotiate a very delicate uh, a situation with. And you're blaming Riker for this? I, I got my hands in the air. I'm at a loss on that one. So next question. Okay, moving on. Thanks for the segue, Jim. Was Jellico right in his first instinct of telling the Federation to abandon Picard? Jim, will start with you on this one. I mean, I don't, I'm dying to hear how you would argue anything other than uh, absolutely not in this one. He doesn't even entertain the notion. Or, again, you want to get performance out of your crew? 
How about don't just slam the door in their face? Yeah, your captain's dead. I don't really care. We're moving on. Again, that's I get it. He's a manager. He's a commanding officer. He has the right to do that. It's the wrong choice if you want to get the best performance out of your crew. And you want to get the best performance out of your crew. It's that simple. So don't act that way. And and whether or not there's an option to, to free him or not, slam the door in the face of your crew and act like, He's dead. There's no way to get him back when he's clearly not. And there clearly is a way to get him back because he does come back is management at its worst. Again, he's a terrible leader. Absolute joker. Full stop. Okay. Well, that was short and sweet. I appreciate it. Barry. Well, in Jellico's mind, and I'm, I'm guessing he's perceiving how his own capture would go. It's futile to save a dead man. And in that, Riker has already proven that he is not going to follow any of Jellicoe's orders. So why would he cut a complete, like, random variable loose on the Cardassians, right? He, he's actually, interestingly, saving Riker's life by saying, no, you are not going to go do that, because as far as I'm concerned, Picard's probably going to be already dead, because I know how Cardassians work, right? I've, I've negotiated with these guys before. Um, he doesn't want Riker, he doesn't want Data, he doesn't want countless gold and red and blue shirts to go and go to their death to save one person. And this is the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. I, 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 it shows up a few times in this series, and I think in this case... Jellico is pushing that. He's saying, no, Riker, you can't go. I can't let you die, too. And Riker doesn't see that. He's blinded. He's blinded. He's not saying that. Okay, point of order. When, point Wait. of order, when <laughs> Riker does follow some orders that Jellico gives him, that fish does get out of the ready room. I'm just going to say that. True. <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about Jim? Riker in the next question yeah my rebuttal to that is very clear again you're you're missing the key points here it's not about the mission it's not about first of all he is alive so for him to say there's no chance of saving him he's 100 wrong correct correct there's really no arguing that fact he's alive he gets saved through actions of jellico by the way so full credit there but the point here if you're a manager and you want to get the best out of your people, don't act the way Jellico acts ever because it's ridiculous. You need your people at their best. So the best thing you can do is not slam the door in their face and say, your captain's dead. Sorry, guys, we're moving on. That's just not, no one would do that. That's just, that's the absolute uh, joke of an insecure individual. Buddy. Oh, I get another rebuttal. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, no, I would just say that I, I think you're missing the point, sadly, here in the sense that that Riker is going more is becoming more and more reckless because his best friend is is in danger. And Jellicoe doesn't want to add another variable to play directly into the Cardassians' hands. He wants to see this through. And if Riker's off on some crazy mission attacking Cardassians, that's not going to work out. And I do appreciate your point. Yes, Jellicoe's tactics planning everything moves forward to end up ultimately saving picard and it's with the help of Riker it being put in the right place so you're right you put people in places where they're going to operate to the best of their abilities moving right on both opponents have requested extra time on this so i will give that to them was Riker right in his actions as first officer to jellico barry 
Riker breached protocol on several occasions and deserves censure. Com- complaining to subordinate officers, commiserating with subordinate officers, getting a dear and close friend to go to bat for him, not following the first order he was given because he didn't like it, and finally his outburst in front of subordinate officers. Yeah, that's bad form all around. I would characterize Riker's act- actions as tantrum behavior, and it's way out of character, and he was right to be confined to quarters. Or not confined to quarters, to be stripped of his, uh, his command for the time, or relieved of his command. Jim? How would you uh, rate tantrum behaviors versus Jellico in a delicate negotiation with a Cardassian? Anyway, let's move on. The one of the biggest false narratives in this uh, episode is Riker's actions. So yes, at the very start, he misjudges and makes an error in terms of the uh, Delta shift and the four shift rotation. No question. After that point, literally after that point, he obeys every single Jellico command without question. Not a single nugget of question. Yes, he's got Jordy and Deanna coming to him and other people complaining to him. And he doesn't commiserate with them. He says, hey, I'm not going to be the one that talks to this guy. He doesn't like me. So he, to, to act like that's some kind of uh, punishable action, the way he's acting there and, and communicating with, with uh, the officers underneath him, is uh, that's baffling. So literally every command after that one, he obeys until he's in a situation where he realizes his captain is alive, imprisoned, and he's making reasoned arguments to his commanding officer about the options available to them to try to save uh, one of the greatest officers in the history of the Federation, whether it's the Saldanas Four Convention or whatever. So I, at, at that point, you know, when, when, when Riker pushes back to save his captain, I have no issues, but it's that false narrative of everything in between that 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 uh, I find puzzling. Buddy, Riker does follow other other orders by Jellico after that with a snarl on his face and nope. a a bad a bad attitude when he is walking down the hallway with Jordy. First of all, look at the floor, everybody. If you're watching it again, two of the fluorescent lights are flickering, and it makes me crazy every time I see that scene. But <laughs> beyond that. Um, he actually does say to Jordy that he doesn't appreciate um, Captain Jellicoe's uh, style or his attitude and everything. He does commiserate, and that is a severe breach of the chain of command. That's a bad thing, and he shouldn't do it. And when finally Jellicoe does swallow his pride, because he doesn't like Riker either, I will fully, fully admit that, uh, Jellicoe swallows his pride and asks him, uh, to to do the the shuttle mission, you see that poop eating grin on Riker's face. Then ask me. Come on, what a guy! He's being a little brat there. Just totally, you know, you know, you're welcome, and all this sort of stuff. I'm sorry. That is that is. They're lucky that they dropped rank there because boy howdy. And you know what? Jellico doesn't give him trouble for it after he lets that slide too. So that's some pretty uh, stern stuff on Jellico's end. Jim. Boy, what a good guy that Jellico is to let that slide. Oh my gosh. He's such a good guy. I'm, I'm, my mind is blown that you're calling out Riker for that. I would have done that in spades three times over because of the disrespect that this officer has shown every single person on this ship. The guy is a fraud. The guy is insecure. The guy is not good at his job. He's a complete joke. 
I have no issues, zero issues with Riker at any point in this episode, minus his first bit of misjudgment of the uh, four shift rotation. I think it's a complete false narrative and people see what they want to see. So we're moving on to a final question. We do have a little bit of time saved for the audience questions that we got. We may not get to all of them, but we will try. What is better to have successful missions at the cost of a crew that loads you? or to serve as captain of a happy crew and risk the possibility of failure? Jim? Well, I'm really glad <clears throat> you asked that question, Shashank, because obviously the happy answer is both. You need, you need successful missions, but you need the proper work environment. And you need a situation where the expertise of an entire crew is utilized to succeed in that mission and not one guy who actually doesn't know what he's doing and not taking advantage of the, the full expertise at, at his disposal. So I think it's really clear that when you, when you describe something like that, you're talking about the greatest captains in the history of Starfleet. And that's captain Jean-Luc Picard and captain Catherine Janeway and captain Ben Sisko and captain Jonathan Archer. It is not captain Jellicoe. Because he doesn't respect the people he works for. And you need to respect people in all situations. He does not respect people. It's really clear. All the evidence is here that he doesn't respect people. And he's a terrible manager. Barry? Uh, first of all, this is a fantastic softball question you threw to Jim. I, I really appreciate <laughs> you doing this because I think he was struggling a little bit in the end there. Um, by the end, I feel I feel that the crew actually didn't loathe him right they definitely had a had a you know a you know they definitely had a fit over the change that was mostly the senior officers right everyone else seemed to be going about their business but Jordy seemed to be coming around and all uh, and angelico he was never like openly mean to anyone he always greeted them warmly and all that sort of stuff so i feel like things really were kind of coming around by the end right they were working together they were talking with each other uh, like picard jellico could not tell them everything right it was up to them to trust him Picard is more more parental in his way of getting this across, and Jellico felt his pips did the talking. Okay, Jim. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. I need a I need a, I need a massage. Oh my god! I will I will give you a massage at STLV, Jim, because you're being a great sport on this. I enjoy this so much. This is this is amazing. It's a, it's a very different uh, structure. Um. Yeah, I think you you are correct. I don't think they ever loathed him, but they don't respect him. And it's better to be in an environment where everybody has mutual respect. And I'll, I, you know, I know I'm a little bit of a broken record right now on that point, but for me, that is how you manage. That is how you lead. And that is how the best organizations, corporations, and even military uh, institutions lead. Okay, buddy. Respect goes up. Ensigns respect junior lieutenants or lieutenants, as you'd say in the States. Um, lieutenants respect commanders, commanders respect captains. It goes up. You gain the respect of those officers and they will bring that respect down. They have more seniority. They have more time. And yes, when they greet you warmly, when they ask you to do something, by goodness, you do it. And you're absolutely right. Delta shift should have happened immediately. And that would have set the tone for the rest of the episode. But Riker didn't do it. Quick rebuttal. Respect always goes both ways. Always. Every single situation in my world, respect goes both ways. 
buddy. I would say it it definitely does. It definitely does, but it has to start in one direction. And it'll 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 be like a great ping pong ping pong match or tennis game. But not not if you're Captain Jellico. Because he never <laughs> respects his crew ever at any point in uh, these uh, two hours. Okay. That, now, that's, again, a matter of perception, so we'll move on. We, we have a few audience questions. All of them were sent from Tiborg at strtrk1701. Thank you, listener, and a shout out to you. We might not get to all the questions, but since Barry was perceiving that previous question as a softball to Jim... Barry, here's a softball for you. Does Jellico have a hidden good side we could grow to respect? Well, thank you. That one, that one's coming in slow and steady. I'm going to knock it right out of the park. His good side isn't hidden at all. Watch the episode. Again, as I've mentioned so many times, Deanna, it's good to see you. Will Riker, class of 57, you know, like he's so happy to, to, to see this person. He's, I've done my homework on you. I know who you are. I think this is going to be great, right? Here are the things I want to have happen. There's warmth. There's candor to his voice, right? He's clearly a devoted father. He and, he and Troy do their little looking at the funny little elephant thing, right? It's apparent he does have a nurturing side. He just didn't think he needed to apply it to the officers of the flagship of the Federation. I think he saw them as being more professional, being able to get a thing done faster and more efficiently than he had anticipated. And this is why he has to pick data up as as sort of like an interlocutor to get Jordy on his side and is why he had to sort of work his way through Troy and Riker because they were undermining his authority. Authority. And about respect, undermining someone's authority, not cool. Jim? Hmm. That's pretty much what he does the entire show. But he, again, the, the passive-aggressive part of it. So he, he uh, introduces himself to Riker quickly, but it's all show. He doesn't have, he doesn't have time for Riker. I'm, he's going to close the, the turbo lift in his face and, and move on. I don't need you to show me. And the way he treats Riker after the initial error of the Delta shift situation in which you also want to listen to the expertise of your crew and get some feedback on the situation you're walking into and don't assume you know everything uh, shows exactly how, how little uh, warmth he actually has because right away it's, it's uh, one demerit and then you're dead to me. That's his, that's his response. And the way he treats Deanna, it's so demeaning. He admonishes her. He's scolding her. He's not telling her in a in a respectful way to change her uniform. It's absolutely uh, uh, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable behavior all across the board in terms of how he interacts with this crew. Guys, this will be your final argument. So make sure you get all those points in there that you've been saving, Barry. I guess you know at the end of this, we still end up seeing a crew doing the right thing, and liking or disliking. Jellico, I think we can see that the mission does end up successful. And I would say that it happens because of the eventual um, emotional fortitude of the crew following the orders of uh, reasonable requests by a captain on several occasions, right? What, what is unreasonable about anything he asks them to do? Put a uniform on, follow my orders, right? These are the things I want you to do. Yes, he, he is not necessarily listening to every single bit and bob that these guys have to say, right? Jordy's like, well, I blah, blah, this and that. That's why he gets data to say, well, actually, this isn't impossible. Actually, this is totally possible. It's just not your favorite way. And 
in that sense, these guys on the Enterprise were 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 designed by Starfleet to be explorers, scientists. That's why he pulls essential services like astro bio, bio whatever or something like that. And Jordy's all nonplussed by this. He's like, "Well, you're taking away stuff from that." And he's like, "I'm not here to do research. I'm here to fight the Cardassians. And if we end up getting caught with our fingers up our nose." we're going to want to be able to have like he says i want bear shot right he wants something he's going to he wants to hit first and hit hard if he has to so sorry scientists you can't be scientists anymore and as much as Mira Lorca turns out to be a poo head, um, they do a pretty good job at beating the klingons so again you've got this scientific crew who are being switched over to being warriors and one way or another, both gentlemen get the job done. Jim? Yeah, the the job does get done, but the means are a train wreck, and Captain Jellicoe is the uh, conductor of that train. You gave up your claim to those territories when you signed the armistice. You couldn't take those worlds by force, so you wanted to have, give them to you at the bargaining table. This guy has no self-control. He is He absolutely loses his mind in that scene and the key point here for the the work that he's asked the crew to do because you're right he he asked the crew to do work is again taking 30 seconds to get a full understanding of the ship and the needs and asking for the expertise of a crew of a thousand people to chime in on that that is how the best managers lead and this real question here is is he a good manager is he a good guy my answer will unequivocally always be no. He's not a good guy. He doesn't treat people with respect. And for me, that's number one on every list uh, for how I measure somebody. If you, if you don't treat someone with respect, you're not a good dude. And he clearly doesn't, regardless of the uh, chain of command structure of Starfleet. Okay, that was a very healthy debate all around. I did quite enjoy myself. This was... Uh... Definitely very interesting. We tried something new. It mostly worked, I would like to think. We we had a format. We tried to stick to it. But that's mainly the way casual, non-formal debates go is there will be a structure thrown out and people will try to stick to it. And that's how you try to get into that hour, hour, five-minute mark. But most importantly, did you have a good time, Jim? Oh, I had a great time. But I literally, it's it was such a, di- the format is very difficult. It's very hard to, uh, kind of stay and point on that. And and if you're debating, you can't really, you don't want to, you can't really give too much. That is true. Because the whole, the whole point is to debate. So you have to hold your cards. Absolutely. And uh, so that, so that one time that Barry had a good point, I couldn't, I couldn't acknowledge it that one time. We'll let the audience, <laughs> we'll let the audience find out uh, what, what that was. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, segue. You guys are great with segues. I quite appreciate it. Well, when this episode drops, we will also be, Attaching to the Twitter announcement of the episode, a poll with both our opponents' names, and you can vote on who won this episode. It's not my place to say, which is why I decided to refrain from making that decision. But if there was a decision I had to make, it is that the first episode of Debate Treks is a big success. I quite appreciate and enjoyed listening to both our opponents today. It did get a little rowdy at times, and we just had to calm calm things down. But overall, it seemed like it was a friendly nice calm atmosphere so i do appreciate that from both of you and my personal thoughts about edward jellico are out there you can go out and find them but 
these guys did make a lot of good points. There were there was not a whole lot of redundancy, but the way the questions were designed, and I designed them. So if there was redundancy, I am the one to blame. The way they were designed is to uh, touch upon each aspect of Jellico that we see. And there are some questions that can be perceived as this being a softball, as one of our opponents said. But there is enough in there, I would like to think, for both opponents to have gotten their piece out on this particular topic. With that said, I quite, quite, quite loved the fact that both of them were up for the format. They both enjoyed it. They both seemed to have a good time and they had a lot to say, which clearly was the whole point of the debate. So thank you, Jim and Barry. I'm getting my blood pressure checked right now because my heart rate is... I have to say, <laughs> it, it is an honor to have you on, Jim. Um, you've definitely been instrumental in my my return, deep, deep return to uh, to, to Star Trek love and and fandom. Uh, a year ago, I heard you uh, your first episode on on Trek ranks, and honestly, I have I have missed very few, if any, and have listened to a few more than once. Um, you, your passion and love for Star Trek is something that, uh, that I admire quite a bit. And I also envy the fact that you have actually, you know, you've got screen time and that's so amazing and so cool. And reading your story was amazing. And if folks, if you haven't read Jim's story, you need to go and do that right now because getting, getting that insight is, is so incredibly cool. So Jim, you know, uh, all in all, disagreeing on on something like this with Star Trek, the the best part about it is you and I both, we, all three of us, unequivocally love this franchise, love this show, and uh, would gladly watch any episode, anytime, anywhere. Um, so yeah, and and we'll be doing that together at STLV this year. Oh, I cannot yeah. wait, Jim. Before we get out of here, where can people find you? Oh, I am at. Uh, on Twitter at TrekRanks and at Enterprise Extra. And you can check out my website at TrekRanks.com. And of course, our TrekRanks podcast here on the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. That was that was a, that was a delightful time. I, I quite enjoyed myself. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. crazy was that debate. The fact that I got to moderate it was in itself a privilege. But what was even better was getting to formulate those questions. Not just because the questions themselves were so varied about this character and there are so many directions that you could go in a debate with someone who's so polarizing. But getting to understand these guys through their, the way they answered these questions was an interesting challenge to me. And that's why you'll see softballs in those questions for both of them. And even though, for the record, everyone might think I might have maybe been a little harsher on Barry than I was on Jim, in truth, the the position that Barry has taken itself is so... It's not unusual, but it's it's so unique, and in that it's him defending a character that the episodes themselves at times objectively show is as a negative character. 
or they show him in a negative light. So that might have been why you guys might have felt that a little bit, but I'm hoping that didn't come across. If it did, it's entirely my fault. I am at Shashank Avaru, S-H-A-S-H-A-N-K-A-V-V-A-R-U on Twitter. At me, yell at me. I would love to listen to you guys. But in closing thoughts for this particular debate, I want to first acknowledge the hard work that Barry and Jim did. They clearly did the research. It's obvious that they now know every frame of chain of command. The fact that they could be creative on the spot, that's very interesting. That's very, very good for both of them in terms of their debate skills. I particularly appreciate how Jim was able to deflect some of the really good points that Barry was making by turning them on their head and making Barry question for a second, like the legitimacy of the point she was making and the, and vice versa. Barry did that at points too, but on a larger scale, debate tracks as an idea for us is mainly to bring in more interesting polarizing topics. And you'll see in the future, hopefully many more special guests will be joining us to debate either Barry or I, or it could just be two guests that one of us could moderate, two guests that are not polytrex people. And honestly, there are a lot of, lot of cool opportunities. But this particular debate itself was very, very interesting. And it was definitely, to me, very thought-provoking. As someone who has had a particular position on this debate for a long time, both of them convinced me to look at things differently. Both of them convinced me for some of the ideas that I've had. Both of them pushed me a little farther against some of the ideas that I had. And I think that's what debates do. Debates don't come out telling you outright who won or who lost. They mainly serve as a purpose for you to question your own stances. They are an opportunity for you to break down and deconstruct some of your own thoughts about the topics that are being discussed. But Edward Jellico, the fact that our first episode was a character-heavy debate, that is very, very delightful. And the I believe these guys have been talking about it for months, and I'm glad we finally did it. And I'm, I am glad if not for anything, for the fact that we could have a coherent debate with ideas, just with decency and professionalism and creativity and not yelling and ranting and making me stop the podcast. At no point were these guys that disrespectful or at no point did I sense any animosity. All the war I felt was between the words and the opinions, not the people themselves. And for that, my hat goes off to Barry and Jim. They're good guys debating a good topic with interesting opinions. But getting to some of the meat of the actual topic, Edward Jellico is a, is a polarizing character. You as a person cannot deny that. It's understandable if you have a stance on it that other people disagree with. But it's very important for you to understand that in our debate, both these guys knew from the outset how disagreeable they were going to be about this topic. Barry had that stance that he had his whole life. Jim had the stance his whole life. And the fact that we could bring them together and actually form a narrative that unlocks some more layers about Edward Jellico, that I think is the real value of the debate. You should go through this entire debate again and just focus 
on the styles of Barry and Jim. Jim clearly is a very outspoken, very energetic speaker who loves being creative. He loves hitting you with the emotions. Barry is a very by-the-book guy. He will bring in the facts. He will try to be the diplomatic one. He will try to bring more of a checklist approach while Jim brings in more of a stump speech approach. And the fact that through these questions and their answers, I could decode their personalities, that helped me very much just as a guy who had the pleasure of listening and moderating these two hooligans. But overall, I will just say this about the debate. We will see in the future what the actual impact of debate tricks will be and how popular it goes on to be within our listeners. If you loved it, please give us a shout on Twitter. We are on at Polytrex, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. Give us a shout on Facebook. We are on P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. You can reach out to us on our voicemail and tell us how you felt on 609-512-LAP. That's 609-512-5527. And depending on how the response is, we'll make sure we get to these kinds of debate-heavy episodes more often in the future, hopefully. You can also, before I forget, hopefully leave us a review on iTunes. If you're listening to us on iTunes, that helps us a lot. It helps us bring the word out. It helps us uh, reach more ears. And just a few short paragraphs, good, bad, we'll take it all. But in closing, I just want to say it was a pleasure moderating them. It was a pleasure listening to these guys it was a it was a pleasure coming up with the questions and it certainly was an honor receiving questions from our audience and being able to use them to guide the debate toward the end there the way you can decide our winner for this particular debate is when we drop this on twitter we will attach a poll right in that tweet thread so be on the lookout for that tweet thread when this particular episode is dropped and i will leave two options in there barry deford jim morehouse tell us who you you think one we'll probably leave it open for a couple of days so everybody can get their votes in and that will be the person who has been decided as a popular winner but if you really want to enjoy the full scope of the debate. Don't think of it in terms of winning and losing. Think of it in terms of good points and bad points and interesting opinions and layered narratives. Until our next debate tracks, this is Shashang saying, live long and prosper. And onward to Star Society. <laughs>